eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulder, my soul now to stand. What could I say? This life to declare your promise, my soul now to say. So tell me what can I say?
in your own way, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, say, Lord, tonight, I'm giving everything I am to you. All I am is yours. Everything I have, everything I'm not, my past, Father, it's yours. My present is yours. My future, God, is yours tonight. Lord, this church, it's not ours. It's yours, God. Father, Pastor Levi, Miss Krista, and the family, Father, they're not our Savior. You are. Father, they're a part of leadership here. Oh, Father, tonight help us to realize that all we are is yours. Who we are needs to be yours tonight. Father, we want to be like the tree planted by the rivers of water tonight. Whatever we do will prosper. Oh, Father, we want to bear fruit. We want to bear fruit in season. Oh, we're looking forward to the season, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you that tonight we can say we'll stand with arms high and heart completely abandoned in awe of who you are. Because, Lord, it's not about us tonight. It's about you. It's about your love for this body called Concord. It's about what you're going to do in the life of this church. But, Lord, you use people. You use us. You choose to use us, God. Oh, we're grateful tonight. And tonight we'll stand as a congregation tonight with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of who you are, of the one who gave everything. And Lord, tonight I pray that we as a congregation, as one tonight, in concord, in unity with one another, would say as a body, all we have is yours. Everything we are. Tonight we lay it down at your feet. And we don't want to get up unless you walk in this body and tell us to go. We don't want to do unless you say do. We don't want to go unless you say go. We don't want to move unless you say move. Help us to be a faithful people so that we can say all we have is yours. All we are is yours. Everything we are tonight is yours. So what can I say? Lord, what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to Is that our desire in this place tonight, church? To offer him everything we have, everything that we are. God bless you guys. You guys can head out. Chapter 1 in your Bible this evening, Psalm chapter 1. Once again, we're going to look at um, the first verse. So you brought a Bible with you tonight, say amen. amen. Glad to see all y'all here this evening. Very good, Psalm chapter 1. You can stand again, if you will, in honor of God's Word. The Bible says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that we would welcome it into our hearts tonight. Have freedom to speak to each one of us this evening. Know, Lord God, that our ears are open and our lives are on the edge of obedience, desiring to follow hard after you. And God, we thank you for what you have done already today and look forward to what you're going to do tonight as we continue to grow together. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. Hey, the first move toward a backslidden life is to live as if God does not exist. Now the psalmist declares, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly live with no consideration of God because they have no relationship with God. Therefore, their counsel, that is their purpose and advice, will never be focused on the Lord. Since the ungodly live as if God doesn't exist, they never consider the fact, listen, they never consider the fact that God is in absolute control of all things. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we know we're walking in the wrong direction when we begin to live as if God does not exist. We saw that this morning. And as a result, we do not experience a blessed, happy, joy-filled life. Uh, that is, literally, our joy in the Lord is removed. And we do not experience peace deep within. Now, the act of living our day-to-day -day life as if God doesn't exist is overwhelmingly subtle to the believer. You know, I've heard it said the best way to boil a live frog is to turn the heat up slowly. And so I wanted to do that tonight, and let's see if that works. Amen? Uh, I'm just messing with you. But anyway, so, um, but listen, that's what the enemy does. The enemy turns the heat up very slowly. So slow, in fact, that oftentimes you don't even know it's happening. I'm confident that some of us are already in hot water and we're not even aware of it. So this evening, I want to begin to uncover the enemy's plan by focusing on two major questions. And we're just going to outline these answers. I've got to go uh, pretty quick tonight. We've got a couple of other things planned. But let's go ahead and give you the very first question. And that is, what does it look like to live as if God does not exist? What does it look like? Three ways you can know you're living in this particular arena. Uh, first of all, we plan with no thought of God's will. That is God's plan, God's purpose, and His pleasure for your life. Listen, it includes every single facet of your day-to-day -day living. In fact, you're a child of God. He is massively concerned about your private life as well as your public life. He's not excluded from your home life, your work life, your recreational life, or any other part of your life for that matter. He's never excluded. However, you know you are out of sync when you really don't think about God until Sunday rolls around. You plan your entire week with no consideration to God's will. You know, James warns us about making plans with no thought of God's will. Listen to what James writes. Listen closely. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, listen, you boast in arrogance and all such boasting is evil. James 4, 13 through 16. The height of arrogance is to make plans with no thought of God's will. 
No consideration of his plan for your life. No thought of his purpose or will for your life. No concern for his pleasure in your life. And when you and I plan our day-to-day life as if we are in charge, James says that is overwhelmingly arrogant. Your plans at that point are literally insulting to God and you're viewed by him as a braggart. You have no assurance that what you're even planning will come to pass because you have no idea what's going to happen either today or tomorrow. And then really to get to the point across, he says living like this is just plain evil, which can also be translated wicked. And the psalmist tells us, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. James doesn't condemn making personal or business plans. What he does condemn as wicked is making personal plans and business plans without acknowledging that God exists and ignoring the fact that God is in control of every single thing in your life, which leads us to make a very simple statement. And you know this, but let's just affirm it tonight. God is sovereign over all things. Psalm 103, 19 tells us this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Listen, God has made firm and securely determined a permanent and immovable throne of royal dignity and power. He alone royally reigns, having absolute dominion over the totality of creation. Ladies and gentlemen, God is in absolute control of your life. God is in absolute control of everything you can see. He's also in control of what you cannot see. The Lord is even sovereign over the enemy. Y'all all all right? The Bible tells us in the book of Job that the enemy has to ask permission before he can do anything. That's good news, isn't it? I want to preach on that now, but I I gotta keep going. Since it's true that God is sovereign and reigns with total command over all, it seems silly, listen, it seems silly for us to live in such a way as if God doesn't exist or as if he's not in control. You know, as well, when we do live without consideration of his reign, it is the epitome of idolatry because we're putting ourselves in God's place. We think somehow that we are in control. You know what that's called? Self-worship. Now, my son Gavin is three years old, all right? Some of y'all have seen him. Have y'all seen him yet? He looks, he's good looking, ain't he? I mean, he looks like his daddy. But anyway, so uh, could you imagine my son Gavin, three years old now, he, he gets around a group of his friends and here's what he says. Tomorrow, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to watch all my favorite cartoons. And then I'm going to eat breakfast, three pancakes and a glass of chocolate milk. After that, I'm going to invite my friends over in the backyard. We're going to play. And then my next door neighbor, who's one of my best friends, he's going to come over and spend the night and bring a bunch of toys. And man, we're going to stay up real late and we're just going to play all night long. Now, if I were sitting there listening to him go through this with his friends, I would be thinking, poor Gavin. He really thinks that he's in control of tomorrow, doesn't he? So how should my son talk? It would be better for him to say, if my dad is cool with it, tomorrow I'm going to eat pancakes, watch cartoons, invite my friends over. Y'all with me? If he made statements like that, it would give evidence that he knows he is not in control of tomorrow, but rather he is under my care and direction. 
how much greater the gap must be between our finite minds and God's infinite mind when we make plans like we are in control of our lives. Instead, we should say, if God is cool with it, here's what we plan to do. When we talk like that, we give evidence that we are under God's care and direction. Y'all still with me? Say amen. So what does it look like to live as if God doesn't exist? First, we plan with no thought of God's will. But secondly, we put our focus on that which is temporary. Jesus warns us about living this way in Luke chapter 12. Listen to what the Lord says. Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, when you and I live as if God doesn't exist, our focus inevitably is planted in the temporary things of this world. Your life becomes controlled by the sin of greed. You desire to have more stuff. You see what others have and immediately you want it. So you start saying, if only I had, you know, another boss. Or if only I had some more money. Or if, if only I lived over there. Jesus continues with the parable in Luke 12 saying this, the land of a rich man was very productive and he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for you many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So the man's attention was placed entirely on that which was temporary. His plans had zero consideration of God. He doesn't say, look at all this produce, Lord. Thank you for the harvest. What do you want me to do with all this extra stuff? He never once took his focus off of that which is temporary. And God considered him a fool. He was living as if God did not exist. That's what happens to us as well when we begin to live as if God doesn't exist. We may experience some blessing in life and immediately we begin wondering how that blessing can benefit us. What can we buy? What can we invest in? Or what can we do with the blessing? We never once consider God. We never once consider the fact that God may want to use us as a conduit through which to pass a blessing on to another. And our greed, it controls us. And our whole question is, what can we get now? Y'all still with me? Let me part from the notes. I know this will make me preach longer than I should, but just look at the preacher. There have been times in my life when the Lord has blessed me. And I wasn't even in need of a blessing. Are y'all all right? And so sometimes things come into my hands and immediately I begin to wonder, all right, I'm, I don't need this. Lord, who is it that needs it? Y'all all right? So then I'm, I mean, I am on high awareness. Lord, who is it that really needs this blessing? Let me pass it on. Now, I'll be real honest with you because y'all think I'm super spiritual now, don't you? I have not always been that way. I have been stingy before. Y'all all right? Uh, especially if somebody gave me some money. Y'all with me? I mean, and uh, if I've got it in my pocket and uh, I have the urge to give it away, I know it wasn't me. Had to be the Lord. Y'all all right? 
But there are some of us who experience blessing. But because we're living as if God doesn't exist, we never sit back and pray, Lord, did you want to do something with this I'm unaware of? Make it plain. <laughs> so when we plan with no thought of God's will and we put our focus on that which is temporary, the third reality of living as if God doesn't exist is that we produce anxiety and worry in our hearts. Now, I want you to think about it. When you live as if God doesn't exist, as if he isn't in control of everything, as if this temporary world is all that there is, you will be filled with anxiety and worry. You know, I find it overwhelmingly weird that the sin of worry is actually a sin that we in the body of Christ don't mind bragging about. Have y'all ever seen this before? We often say, yeah, man, I'll tell you what, boy. Preacher, pray for me. I'm a worry wart. That's just how I've always been. You know, I've even heard some people tell me, you know, well, my dad was a worrier. So, man, I'm just, I'm just naturally a worrier. Look at the preacher. When you got saved, you got a new daddy. <laughs> y'all, y'all still out there? I'm going to preach a sermon one day. It'll be called, Who's Your Daddy? Amen. But anyways, let me go. I just thought of that. Somebody write that down for me. But it's almost like people think it's funny to be a worrier. How it must grieve God's heart when we talk like this. When we worry, here's what we're saying without opening our mouth. God, I don't think you're really in control. So whenever we worry, we're living as if God doesn't exist. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor for your body. As to what you'll put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Some of you have had a hard time worshiping today because you're worried about life. And some of you perhaps are worried, how am I going to pay those bills? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if I get a pay decrease? What if, what if, what if? You know, I've learned, you know you're worrying when you begin a sentence with what if. <laughs> Y'all let that sink in? Amen. That's a sure sign. You're sitting in the hot water you are experiencing at that moment. You're on the cusp of sliding down the mountain. So what does it look like to live as if God doesn't exist? Well, we plan with no thought of God's will. We put our focus on that which was temporary, and we produce anxiety and worry in our hearts. Now we conclude our time together by answering the second question, all right? How can I make sure that I don't live as if God doesn't exist? Now, the easy answer is found on top of the tree. We must live with God is our focus. Now, it's easy to say that, but the question is, how do we really do it? You know, the psalmist tells us, delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So in order to fight against living as if God doesn't exist, I need to meditate on God's word day and night. And what is the scripture to help me do that? It's in your Memory verse cards here. It's Matthew 6, 33. And I want you to memorize that, that this week. Most of you probably already know it, but the Bible says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, this verse is given to us by Jesus after he tells us not to worry. He says, don't you see the birds of the air over there? Look at them. They're not fretting where they're going to get their next meal. Your heavenly Father cares for them. How much greater are you than birds, man? See the lilies of the field? They're not fretting about their clothing. The Father dresses them greater than even Solomon could dress himself. 
So if God cares for the birds and he dresses the lilies and you're more important than both, Jesus' conclusion is this, don't worry. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But what does it mean to seek his kingdom? What does it mean to seek his righteousness? Well, to seek his kingdom literally means to seek his rule. To seek his authority, his sovereign power. Seek God's rule, not yours. Seek God's authority, not yours. His sovereign power, not yours. His plan, his purpose, not your plan, not your purpose. You know, we, we do this with our children probably to a fault and don't even realize it. But oftentimes we come up to our kids, teenagers and even college students and we ask them, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do with yourself? Poor question. Y'all with me? You know what that does? It makes them start trying to plan their life. Are y'all still with me out there? A better question will be, what do you feel like God wants you to do when you grow up? Do y'all see the difference there? That's what happens whenever we begin to seek the kingdom of God. Some of you this week, sir, you're at work, you're going to work this week. You've got several meetings you've got to get to. Before you go into those meetings, seek first God's kingdom. God, give me your rule. Tell me exactly what you would have me to say. I want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in. So we're seeking the Lord in every single thing that we do, every meeting that we have, every plan that we put together. We're doing it by first seeking the Lord and his rule and authority. And the Bible says, seek his righteousness here Jesus was telling his disciples not to seek their own righteousness. Uh, and don't do that for yourself either. Y'all listening to me? Don't seek your own righteousness. You, if you do that, you will find yourself uh, overwhelmingly frustrated because you've got no righteousness. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all all right. I mean, you got none, man. It really does. It, it, you just don't. I don't either. So they could never be made acceptable to God by their own acts of righteousness. They had none as far as God was and is concerned. However, his righteousness came in Christ. So seek his righteousness. Seek his son to save you from the kingdom of darkness. And when we do this, listen, all these things will be added unto us. So we're seeking his kingdom. We're seeking his righteousness. You know, I talked with Garrison last night because, you know, we baptized him this morning, which I was pretty fired up about. And I asked him, I said, Garrison, let's talk about baptism right quick. Well, make sure you understand now. We're sitting on the bed and Gavin's there with us too. I kind of wanted him to listen in. I know he ain't but three, but you can learn young. But anyway, so I, I began to talk to him and said, uh, now tell me, uh, Garrison, tell me why you're going to get baptized. What's the point, man? He says, um, it represents the fact that I've asked Jesus into my heart. I said, well, all right, explain to me what does that mean, represents you've asked Jesus into your heart. What, what are you talking about? He said, it's kind of like if you had a coat on and the coat was full of sin. And then all of a sudden what you did when you came to Christ was take that sin coat off and got a new coat from God, which was pure and clean. <laughs> I almost told him to preach. Y'all all right? <laughs> Good grief. Uh, but, but he's learned the principle. Seek the righteousness of God. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. You keep wearing your coat, you'll be in a mess for all of eternity. But when you come to God by faith, he changes your coat. 
That's all right, isn't it? Now, now look at the preacher just a minute. Here's the deal. Uh, if you're not careful, you can go back to living like you did before you got your new coat. That's what Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians for. You're free from the law. You're free from condemnation. Don't go back and try to put on those clothes, man. You got a new righteousness in Christ. Y'all still with me? Seek first his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Uh, that is, God will take care of all of your needs. Everybody say needs. He's not saying God's going to take care of all your greeds. Y'all all right? But all of our needs he takes care of. Can I just say just for free, we have no clue. And when I say we, I lump myself into it. We have no clue what it means to live by faith. Y'all all right? Um, hanging out in Africa for a little while, finding people who are praying for a meal that day. That's living by faith, man. So we, we're overwhelmingly blessed, but we don't need to allow the blessings which we have received from the Father to deter our attention from the Father. Y'all still with me? Can I get, I don't know if I gave these to you in the notes, but let me... Doesn't look like it. Let me just tell you this. This is awesome. Whenever you seek first the kingdom of God, the byproduct is always peace. When you're seeking God's rule, God's authority, the byproduct is peace. And you know what peace is? It's a spiritual fruit. Are y'all with me? And, and, and you don't have to work. Listen to the preacher. You don't have to work at bearing spiritual fruit. Look at me. This is awesome. You abide in the root and you will bear automatic fruit. Are y'all hearing me? You, you, who's the root? Somebody say, Jesus. I'm just helping y'all there. You abide in him and that, just, that fruit just shows up. And so whenever you're abiding in the Lord Jesus, you're focusing on him. You're seeking his kingdom. You're seeking his rule. When you do that, all of a sudden you're reminded, hey, God's in control of everything. What peace comes to your heart? When you seek the righteousness of the Lord, it will bear security in your life. Those individuals who doubt their salvation continually, oftentimes they doubt because they're trying to build their own righteousness. And they realize this just isn't good enough. So they doubt it, they doubt it, they doubt it. But whenever you seek the righteousness of Christ, boom, there's security in that. Are y'all hearing me talk? So as we seek His righteousness, we experience security in Him. Now, what does this look like in your life? Can I, can I tell y'all that um, I think some of y'all know that this is actually a book, Spiritual Avalanche, that's coming out next year, so I'm pretty fired up about it. And uh, the first time that I ever taught the uh, Bible study, the material, some of the material, you know, I've obviously fleshed it out into messages now and a book, but the first time I ever taught it, I taught it in a uh, place of business, uh, my office at first day was actually located um, in a flooring company. Y'all all right? And so they gave me a free one, so I took it. So anyway, I went in there and I had an office. And uh, they wanted to do a Bible study every week. So I was fired up. Yeah, we'll do a Bible study. So every Wednesday when I was in town, we would all get together and we'd do a Bible study. And I took them through these and they began to memorize these verses. Now look at the preacher. Not all of them were saved. 
Not all of them were growing in their faith. These are some, some of them are some hard dudes. Y'all all right? I mean, some jokers to say the least. So we come in there and they start memorizing scripture. I'll never forget it after we did Matthew 6, I came in the office one day and I was walking down the hall. I had two of them burly jokers quote the scripture to me. Here's what one of them did. He said, hey, oh, I know it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I can't remember the rest, but I, I'm on my way. That's what he said. That's all right, isn't it? But he was studying the scripture. And we saw people saved in that Bible study, growing in their faith, joining churches. That oh, was awesome. So, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to wake up with Matthew 6.33. Look at the preacher. Matthew 6.33 is your friend this week. You're going to walk with him. You're going to talk with him. You're going to sit down with him, sip some coffee, turn it into your prayer, use it, put it wherever you can so it is visual in your life. If you've got to put it there on your speedometer when you're driving to work, just to remind you, do it. Got to put it on your desk in the office? Do it. Put that scripture in front of you and turn that into a prayer and let Matthew 6.33 transform how you look at life. To transform your focus. Y'all still with me? You won't be living as if God doesn't exist. You'll start living focused on the Lord. Amen? So that's what we're going to do this week. So if we run into each other, let's quote the verses. Y'all all right? Let's all do this, all right? I wasn't planning on this, but y'all look silly tonight, so I'm going <laughs> to work with you, all right? Let's just pretend tonight. What you, well, that's not to pretend. Let's do it for real. What you're doing is making a commitment with all these people in this room that you're going to memorize this verse this week. If you commit to that, say amen. amen. If you don't commit to it, stand up right now and tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now here's the deal too. Whenever you commit to it, what you're doing now is you're giving everybody freedom this week to call you on the phone and say, what's the verse? <laughs> y'all still with me? Do y'all like that idea? Say amen. amen. And then you run into each other in the hallways on Wednesday. When you come back to church, you're going to run into them and say, tell us the verse. Is that good? Man, I hope to hear Matthew 6, so much in here. That I think that's the only verse you got in your Bible. Y'all all right? Let's do it, man. And we start studying that scripture and chewing on it. We're going to be shocked at how we begin to grow. Amen? Let's pray. Father.